Well, as always, church, it is good to be with you. If you're new or visiting, my name is Tyler. I'm the downtown pastor here. If you have a Bible, go ahead and open up to 1 Peter, 1 Peter chapter 1. We're going to be in chapter 1 and beginning of chapter 2 today. We're teaching through the book of 1 Peter. It's what we do at the Austin Stone. We go through books of the Bible one at a time for the most part. Every week we gather together and we're continuing in the book of 1 Peter. And this week is basically... It's basically a part two to last week's sermon. Last week we studied a text where we learned that Christians are commanded to love other Christians. Now, we're commanded to love all people, but Christians have a special responsibility and obligation to love their brothers and sisters in Christ. And what we learned last week is if we love one another the way that we have been loved, then we as a church will have a physical picture to our city to show them what the love of God is like. And so last week we covered the what of love. We answered the question, what is love and who do we love? What is love and who do we love? This week we're looking at the text that's going to tell us why do we love and how do we keep loving one another. Really quickly, we're going to see why do we love and we're going to spend the majority of our time talking about how do we continue to love one another for the rest of our lives. So let's go ahead and read 1 Peter 1, 22, the verse we studied last week. Through 2 3. This is the word of God. Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. For all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers. And the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now there's a lot going on in this section of the letter, but really simply, here's what Peter is saying. The only way, the only way you and I are going to be able to love one another is by the power of the word of God. The only way you and I are gonna love one another is by the power of the word of God. So why do we love one another? Because God made us to. Because God caused our new birth. Peter starts... He starts with the why of our love with what God has already done. He starts with the work of God already done in us. He starts with the new identity God has given to you in Christ. See, over and over again in the Bible, when you read the Bible, you'll see God commanding people to do things. Always God is saying, think this, believe this, feel this, do this, don't do that, go this way, repent of this, confess this. He's commanding. But God always ties his commands to who he is, what he has done, and who he has made you to be. He roots your behavior in your identity. Look at verse 22 and 23. It says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Okay, that's the command. 23, why? Since, because, you have been born again. You've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. We love one another sincerely and earnestly because we were born again. Because you were born again by the word of God. He appeals to who you are, what God has already done in you, as to why you love. The reason you love is because God made you new. Because God brought you into his family, and his family is defined primarily by love. That's why you love. Not because you're good, not because you did all these things, or because you're so lovely, but because he caused you to be born again. And when you believed in Jesus for the very first time, something incredible happened, Peter said. And you probably didn't realize it, and you probably didn't even know it was happening. But you were reborn. You were born anew through the word of God, preached to you. See, Christianity is not about God making good people better or s- struggling people stable 
or grumpy people into nice people. Christianity is about God making dead people alive. Making dead people alive. When God causes you to be reborn through his word, it's not as if you're invited into his family and all that means is you're a little bit more spiritual and what you do on Sundays has changed a little bit. No, you don't take, the gospel doesn't add on to your life. It drills into the heart of your life and changes you from the inside out. The gospel comes into your life and it explodes your old categories. It gives you new desires. It gives you a new life, a new outlook, a new sense of family, a new decision-making tree. All of that came when you first believed. God remade you. Nothing is the same. You, Christian, are a new creation. No matter how you feel or what you feel like people tell you, you are a brand new creation. And why are you new? Because of the word of God. That's why you're new. What caused it was the living and abiding word of God. Look at verse 23. He says, since you have been born again, you've been born again, that's why you love, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. And then he quotes Isaiah 40. He says, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. So how are you reborn? Someone preached the gospel to you. That's how it happened. Everyone who has believed in Jesus and everyone who will believe in Jesus, somebody had to tell them the good news. Someone had to proclaim to them the good news. And no matter your story of how you came to faith, and all of our stories are very different. Listen, the power was not in the person who spoke to you, the power is in the word of God. It wasn't in that person. It wasn't in their charisma or in even in their love for you, though those were good things. The decisive factor was it was God's word. It caused you to be reborn. And no matter your story, that's what happened. And all of our stories are very different. Some of us have stories of faith where it's very drastic. Some of, us, some of us have stories of faith that was much more gradual. Like my story was a very drastic one. I went away to a retreat that this church was having when I was 18 and I went to the retreat, and there was a vocational preacher preaching the gospel, and he changed my life. I mean, he changed my life. In that moment, the word of God caused me to be born again, and I came back from that retreat a completely different person. And it wasn't fabricated. It didn't wear off eventually. I had new desires and new hopes and new aspirations, and I didn't even have words for everything that was going on inside of me, but I was brand new in a weekend. Some of us have that sort of momentous, in a moment sort of story. Others of us, I know a lot of us, have more gradual, more relational, more drawn-out stories. A good friend of mine in college, he did not grow up in the church at all. Um, he actually grew up in a hippie commune, he a, so he had a different set of experiences. And he had no framework for Christianity. And then he came to the same university that I was at, and he met a couple of Christians. And over the first semester of his freshman year, they talked a lot. Had a lot of conversations, he was asking a lot of questions, he would come to church with us every now and then. But he, he was like still on the fence, didn't know where he stood. And he actually, uh, after, on, uh, during Christmas break, he was flying back home to Hawaii. And on the way home, he said he was sitting there on the airplane just thinking about stuff. And he said it hit him. And he said, all of a sudden I realized, I think I'm a Christian. Like, that, like that's what happened. I, I, I don't know where it happened. I don't know where it was decisive. I don't know the moment. But I know right now I'm sure that I believe the gospel. I'm sure that I believe who Jesus is. And maybe that's a lot of you. Like, you don't know the decisive moment. You're like, I think I was born again like five different times. Like seven, 15, 22, 35. Like it just feels, you're not really sure where it happened. But you know it did. Somewhere, sometime, you became sure of the gospel. And what Peter is saying is regardless of your story, do you want to know why it happened? It was the power of the word of God. It wasn't in that person. Was, that, was their love important and that's in your conversion? Yes. Were those conversations important? Yes. Was that time important? Yes. Was that suffering you went through important? Yes. But the decisive agent was God's word. Whether it was through a pastor or a parent or a friend or a colleague or a neighbor, God's word is what made you brand new. It was the good news of Jesus Christ that had the power to give you a brand new life. That's what it was. 
Now, why is Peter talking about this when he wants us to love one another? He, he's setting up the power of the word of God to get us ready to do what? To, to do what? To love one another. He's telling us all these things. Remember in your story. Remember how you were saved. Remember what happened. It was the forever and living and abiding word of God that when everything else fades, the word of God will be standing strong. He's saying That's what, that was your story. That's why you were born again. And he's telling you that so that now in the future, this word you were born by, you'll live by. You'll live by in love for one another. Look at verse 25. You'll see the connection here. It says, but the word of the Lord remains forever. Still quoting Isaiah 40. Then he says, and this word is the good news that was preached to you. So the word of God was preached to you. You were saved. You were reborn. Here's the application. So, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted the Lord is good. That word so in there. He's saying in light of all that God has done through his word in your life. Verses 23 through 25, there's not one command in there. It's him describing your story and why it happened and how it happened with the power of the word of God. Then the application is now, in light of who God has made you to be, do these two things. Put away malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander. What he's saying is put away loving self over others. And secondly, he says, like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk, which in this context, he's talking about the word of God. And notice that list of sins. The list of sins he describes, they're all directed at other people. Malice, deceit, hypocrisy, they're all directed at other people. They're horizontal in nature. What Peter is doing in verse 22, he said, love one another. And then in 2, 1, what he's saying, here's the opposite of that. Here's the opposite of what I'm calling the church to do. And you have to know, even though God, Christian, has made you brand new, the Bible and your own experience testifies to the fact that sin still resides in you, still resides in you. And while all of our sin is ultimately against God, it's ultimately against God, it spills out into our relationships and interactions with other people. And so instead of loving one another in this room, even at great cost to ourselves, we begin to use and manipulate and tear down one another. In your sin, you will see other brothers and sisters in Christ as a means to an end. They will be a means to an end. They won't be somebody for me to love. They'll be somebody for me to get something from. They'll be a means to an end. I'm talking to you, I'm interacting with you, I wanna be around you to get the approval that I'm after or the comfort that I'm after or the influence that I'm after. It's not about you, it's about what I can get from you and if you don't give that to me, then I begin to tear you down. Then I begin to tear you down. See, too often you and I read lists like this of sins in the Bible, and we, we hear the list, like I just read that list, and we rarely assume that all of them apply to us, right? Like, like when you read or hear a list of sins in the Bible, you tend to think, man, my neighbor needs to hear this sermon. Like you tend to think about somebody else. You're like, hey, you got, that's you, man. Like that's what you think. Honestly, you may have thought, okay, that one sort of applies to me, Maybe if I had a really bad week, maybe two of them apply to me. I want you to know that's not true. I want you to know that's not true. You need to know that all of those sins that Peter listed that happened towards one another, they're all in you. Every single one. Every single one of those is in you. God did not list off those sins arbitrarily. He didn't just happen to pick those five sins and hope that some of them applied to you. No, he knows your sin better than you. All of them reside in you. Now, I'm not saying, listen, I'm not saying that you struggle with all of them in the same way. I'm saying you are capable of every single one of those. So the way I've thought about this, an image I've given myself to help me understand my own sin and how I'm prone to all these sins is I picture, I picture in my mind trees in a forest. I picture trees in a forest. In a forest, you're gonna have all sorts of trees, right? And the trees are gonna be at various stages of growth. In a forest, you'll have certain trees that are full grown and mature. You'll have old trees that are rotting and beginning to die. 
You'll have saplings and you'll have trees that are still in the seed form in the ground lying dormant. You have all of these different types of trees in a forest. And when you look at sin, you have to know that the seed for every single sin listed here and listed in the Bible, the seed of that sin lies in you. It lies in the soil of your heart, so to speak. It sits there lying dormant, though it may not be manifested into a sapling or into a tree yet, it's still there, you're still capable of it. So when you read this list, it's not which sins do I have in my life and which sins do I not have in my life? That's not the right way to read the Bible. When you read a list of sins, you go, at what stage of growth is that sin in my life? Where is it at? God's not foolish. He doesn't list off sins arbitrarily. These define us. Some are just more visible and above ground than others. So, for example, when you read this list, let's think about malice. Like maybe right now you're honestly assessing, I don't think I want anyone to get hurt. I don't think, you know, maybe. But right now you're assessing, you're going, there's no Christian that comes to mind in my life that I wish they would fail. Like I genuinely, I I look at my life and I look at my heart and my actions, I, I don't see that anywhere. Praise God, right? That's grace actively working in your life. But don't think you're beyond malice. Don't think you're not capable of it. Listen, everything needed for malice lies in you. Everything needed. All you need is a little water of hate, a little light of hurt, and malice will begin to manifest itself in your life. That's the seed of it resides in each one of us. What about deceit and hypocrisy? Maybe, maybe they're not dormant. Maybe you've lied a little bit. But it wasn't a big lie. It was, it was like a sapling level lie, right? It's just, it wasn't big. I just, but I did present myself better than I actually am. Yeah, I didn't necessarily say anything wrong. I definitely omitted that though. Yeah, I did confess a sin, but I confessed like 10% of it. You ever done that? I presented that sin in the best way possible. I presented it as if I don't struggle with it anymore. And you realize, oh wait, I've been lying more than I realize. And maybe you look at your heart and it's not a sapling. Maybe it's a full-blown mature tree and there's a lot of lies you've told. There's a lot of ways you've been faking, a lot of ways you've been presenting yourself in ways that you really aren't. And maybe you've been doing it for so long, so often, it literally is a forest of trees. And to tell the truth, you don't even know where to start because you've been omitting truth for so long. Or maybe it's envy and slander. Envy is really, really sneaky. Because honestly, in all these sins, it's rare for you to just be envious of everybody. Like, I just want everybody's life, not typically. It's usually particular people. Like envy especially, it's really sneaky. So it may be lying under the surface for a long time and you don't realize it. But the people you envy most are the people you dismiss the quickest. They're the people that you assume the worst in. And they're the people, honestly, you slander most easily. And when it comes to slander, you and I know we shouldn't talk bad about people. And so we'll, we'll spiritualize it. We'll slander people in the form of prayer requests. Hey, pray for so-and-so. They're really struggling with this. Be praying for them. I heard of some stuff. Be praying though, right? Or maybe you'll use empty phrases like, I love them, but, or they're great, but, or if you're really, really Southern, bless their heart, right? <laughs> bless their heart. I'm about to destroy them. Like, that's how that works. That's what that means. That's, with all due respect, it's about to come some bad stuff, right? We know we shouldn't, so we say it in a way that makes us think we're being kind about it. But you have to know, for all those sins I just listed, wherever they are in your life, the seed of that lies in you. It's in you. It's just a matter as to what is the growth like in you. How, how big has it gotten in your life? Now, if all of these sins reside in us, and sin by nature is deceptive and sneaky, and you can't always see what it's doing on your own, how could you possibly know, right? Like, how can you possibly know where you're struggling, where your sins are, and how can you, even if, and if you knew, how could you overcome them and actually love other people instead of using other people? 
Peter's solution is not just be more kind or love people more. His solution to those problems is your consuming of God's word. You're consuming the gospel of Jesus Christ. Look at 1 Peter 2, 1 through 3. He says, So, in light of God's word, put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And then he says, Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. You put away loving self over others by longing for the pure and nourishing word of God. And he says, be like newborn infants. Now there are a couple spots in the New Testament where the apostles will use children as a way to rebuke people. They'll use children and their immaturity as a way to chastise the church. But there are also times both in the gospels and right here where children are held up as our models. They're held up as how we should live. And he's saying that for those who have been born again, you should treat the word of God the same way a newborn treats the milk of their mother. That you should treat the word of God the same way a newborn treats the milk of their mother. I have three young kids. My youngest, Eliza, just turned one. And I can tell you, newborns are not indifferent towards being fed. Right? They're not indifferent. They are not content with it every now and then. They're like, Mom, are you busy? Okay, I'll be good over here. Just, uh, just give me a second. Like, that's not happening. That's not what they do. They are not patient for it. They are desperate for it. Their entire world is run by it. They cry out for it, and they're very much aware if they want to be fed, to be nourished, to be satisfied, to deal with their hunger, they have to long for their mother. They know that. That's why they cry out so often. And Peter tells the church, that should be your relationship with the word of God. That's the way you should view it, because it's pure. It's pure. It hasn't been defiled by any error. It hasn't been watered down in its power. It's able to make you grow up. It's able to change you. It's able to shape you. It's able to make you ready for the salvation coming for you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. This word, this gospel that caused you to be born again is the same gospel that grows you up into maturity. And as you are fed his word, as you read the scriptures and you see who God is and you see the gospel in fresh new ways, and as you grow, you'll be able to love one another. As you're fed, you'll be able to love one another. Now, how is it that consuming God's word enables you to love other people? The idea is as you freshly taste the love and the word of God, you'll be able to freshly love people in front of you. The opposite is, it is really difficult to love other people when you are spiritually starving. It is very difficult to love other people and the way God's called us to love our brothers and sisters when you yourself are spiritually starving. Every single person in this room has a deep longing and hunger for approval. God put it there. You have this deep longing to know that you're liked, to know that you're pleasing. You have this deep hunger for comfort, this deep hunger for power and influence and respect, this deep hunger for control. You long for love and belonging and respect and security. And these hungers can only be satisfied and quenched and made full by God. The approval you really need is not from your spouse or your parents or anyone else. It's God saying, I'm pleased with you. I'm for you. I'm not mad at you. I love you. I'm for you. You you are pleasing to me. The comfort that you need, the refuge that you need is found in God. The power that you really want, the influence, the respect, is the one where Jesus says, in the new heavens, new earth, you'll reign over the universe with me. Your position here doesn't matter. The security you want, it's not found in a bank account or in a relationship. It's found in God saying, I run the world for your benefit. That's what you really need. That's how you have those hungers and those longings filled. That's how you know. So how do you get access to these things? By believing the gospel of Jesus Christ, but how do you get access to them daily? 
Like, how do you know fresh? I, I know it intellectually. I've heard it before in the past, but how do I get it today? Through the word. It's by God's word that he communicates and feeds his people with his love. That's the way he's designed it. He doesn't want you in this life wondering what he thinks and making up words in your mind as to how he feels about you. He's written them down for you. He's given them to you and the apostles and the prophets and their testimonies to Jesus and his work. And you can go here again and again and know exactly what he thinks. He doesn't want his people wondering how he feels, wondering if they're forgiven. He tells us again and again all over the Bible. He wants you to live by his word. When Jesus was fasting 40 days and 40 nights, obviously he was hungry. The first temptation that Satan brought to him, he says, if you're the son of God, then take these stones and turn them into bread. And when you read that, you're probably thinking, what's the temptation there? Like, why does he tempt him with that? What Satan is is tempting Jesus to do is saying, provide for yourself. Don't trust God and his word to provide for you. Do it on your own. You're the son of God. And Jesus, he responds this way in Matthew 4, 4. He said, but he, Jesus, answered, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus himself quotes Deuteronomy 8, 3, and he's saying, we're like newborn infants. We live by his word. We're desperate for it. We need it to survive. And as you constantly and consistently hear the word of God and read the word of God and trust the word of God and meditate on the word of God, he'll begin to fill you. It's where he teaches you. It's where he instructs you. It's where his presence is manifested to you. It's through his word. Every song that we sing, every sermon we preach, is all we're doing is saying, here's what God's word says. And God does the rest. And he feeds you his love by his word so that you're able to what? To love other people. So you're full, you're satisfied, and now you can think about and love other people. But when you neglect, when you neglect intentionally thinking and praying and meditating on God's word and his gospel for you, you won't grow. You won't. You'll still be loved and you'll still be saved, but you won't grow. You won't grow, and those deep longings won't be met. And here's what happens. If you don't go to God with your hungers, you'll begin to use other people to satisfy that. That's what you'll do. You don't go to God for all the things he's made to give to you, so you begin to go to other people, other Christians, and they'll let you down every time. They will let you down every time because you will find very quickly, no matter how faithful or good of a Christian they may be, they aren't big enough or strong enough or good enough to satisfy you in the ways that you need. They're just not. That's why you can have other brothers and sisters in Christ affirm you all the time, but it still can't deal with your sense of loneliness and nobody loves you. Why is that? Does God use other people in the church to show us his love? Absolutely. But there are places, there are places in your heart only God's word can go. There just are. We can tell you all day that God is, that we're for you, but until you're sure and you go to God's word and you realize he is working all things together for your good, until you hear that from him and his word and you believe it, we'll never be able to tell you enough. But if you don't go to God, you won't be satisfied. But guess what? Those spiritual hunger pains, they don't go away. They don't go away. And what happens as you spiritually get more and more famished, you have a harder time thinking about other people, don't you? Because your own needs are in your mind. Your own hunger is clouding your thinking and your ability to love other people. I'm assuming that all of you are familiar with the term hangry, right? Assume we're all familiar with this. Um, If you don't know what hangry means, it's when a very nice person, sweet person, hasn't eaten and they're really mean monsters. That's basically what it means, okay? And hanger can turn this, even the sweetest, most respectful person into someone who's very aggressive. So Val Vance, who is on our staff, uh, she's fine. I asked her for permission. Okay. Um, Val Vance has been on staff at Stone for a long time. She's been a close friend of my wife, Lauren, and I for about a decade. And honestly, there is no one at the Austin Stone since I started as an intern here like eight years ago who has been more supportive of me in my ministry, more encouraging, more respectful, more kind to me than her. Nobody, 
But it turns out when she gets hangry, all of that goes out the window, okay? Because there was one time in particular where I was going to a lunch with her and a couple other staff members, and I told them, hey, I'm running behind on some stuff. I'm going to need a couple minutes. So I was actually having, I remember I needed to have, I can't remember the topic, but I needed to have a pretty serious conversation with our executive pastor downtown campus, Scott Heckman, and we're having this conversation. And I mean, it's a serious conversation. I am literally mid-sentence, and I can kind of see Val pacing over here to my, uh, in the corner of my eye. I'm like, hey, she's it's fine. I don't know what's going on or whatever. We're having this conversation. And then Val walks up. I'm mid-sentence. She cuts me off. Interrupts me. Hey, stop real quick. Hey, I need to know, are we going to lunch right now? Are we going like now, like 10 minutes? I need to know the time period because I need to get some snacks. I need to make some plans. And I was like, whoa. I, I don't know what just happened. Did I offend you in some way? Like, I didn't know what was going on. But she was hangry. So if you go to lunch with Val in the first 10 minutes, she's kind of mean, let her eat and she'll be better. That's how that works. <laughs> she was hang- her, 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 her own desires, her own needs, her own hunger pains got in the way of her seeing, oh, I should probably tone it down a notch. And she couldn't see that. All she could feel and sense was her own hunger, her own desires. Now listen, that's how you will treat other brothers and sisters in Christ if you are not fed by God's word. That's what you'll do. You can go in with the best of intentions, but if you yourself haven't been fed, your own hungers and needs and wants for approval or long or, or love and belonging and acceptance, they'll be in your mind, and that's the time where you find yourself not really listening to what they're saying, but thinking about what you're going to say next. Only thinking about how you can get the conversation back to you, and the main reason you brought that up was not to hear about their stuff, but to talk about your stuff. Why do you do that? Because you're hungry for the, all the things only God can meet. And then you're not even helpful to them because what do they need more than anything? Even more than your empathy, even more than your love. They need to hear from God's word. But you can't take them there because you haven't tasted it yourself. You're starving so you don't know how to give them food. You don't know how to encourage them. So maybe you use some Christian cliche, but it's not because you really believe it, because you learn, you've learned to use it every now and then, but it's not fresh for you. It's old bread, so to speak. It's stale. Your own hunger clouds your ability to love other people because you haven't been fed from God's word yourself. And here's what happens. The emptier you are spiritually, the more malicious you'll become. The emptier you are spiritually, the more you'll find yourself secretly, you'll never say it out loud because you know you shouldn't, secretly for moments relishing in someone else's downfall. Secretly kind of wanting that person to fail. The emptier you become spiritually, the more you'll find yourself being deceitful and a hypocrite. Like you want to be authentic, But I haven't felt a fresh and experienced fresh from God's word that God approves of me, that he's for me, that he loves me. And so I'm going to hide this sin because if I share it, they won't approve of me or love me. And I need that really bad. So I'm going to hide and get what I need. The emptier you are spiritually, the more you'll hate the success of other people the more it'll just make you feel incredibly insecure and self-loathing because their success just proves how much of a failure you already feel. The more empty you are spiritually, you'll feed on tearing people down because you're not strong enough to build them up. In Galatians, Paul says, you bite and devour one another. That's what you'll do. You'll be nice about it, You'll cloak it in certain language, but you don't want their success. You want them down so you can lift yourself up. And without fail, without fail, I have found my sincere love for people is tied directly to my diet of the word of God. It's a direct causation, correlation, relationship. As my diet in the word of God goes up, my ability to sincerely love other people goes up. I've just seen it. And as my diet of the word of God goes down, then my ability to sincerely love other people and think about them and what they need and their good goes down. Seeing it again and again. And here's the thing. I use the word diet on purpose. 
I use the word diet on purpose because we need to broaden and deepen our understanding of what it means to consume God's word the way a newborn longs for spiritual milk. Listen, one meal does not change your life. Like if you're dieting right now and you're like, I ate a salad and nothing happened. One meal won't change your life. Like this is garbage, I'm going back to eating. Like that's not, you've, you've, you misunderstood, okay? And one meal at McDonald's is not gonna kill you, all right? It's not, it's, whatever one may say, it's pretty good. It's not gonna kill you, okay? One meal's not gonna do that. What's gonna shape you? Your diet. What you consistently intake is what shapes you as a person. One meal, for better or worse, is not going to drastically change your life. Reading the Bible one day or not reading the Bible one day probably won't change your life, but consistently over time, your intake or lack thereof the word of God will drastically shape you. It will shape you like a diet. It may not be, I didn't read the Bible today, so therefore I was incapable of loving other people. That may not be the way it works. But you find yourself, I haven't consumed the word in a really long time. I haven't heard a sermon in a really long time. I haven't been in community in a really long time. And I'm wondering why I feel so cold towards people. I'm wondering why I'm so self-obsessed in how I see the world. Your diet, your spiritual diet affects you over time. So here's what I want to do. I want to give you three ways you and I should be consuming the word of God so that we can love one another well. Okay, here's the first way. Three ways and we'll be done. First way, personal Bible reading. Okay, something that most of you, if you've been in church at Stone for any period of time, you know you probably should do this but I want to say it anyway, personal Bible reading. You should aim for your time in the scriptures to be daily. It may not happen every day, but the aim should be daily. Now, we have all sorts of tools, all sorts of plans to help you do this, but let me tell you, please don't be discouraged if you read the Bible one day and nothing happens. Don't be discouraged if you read it and you're like, hey, reading the Bible, sitting down, got my coffee, I got some background Aaron Ivy music, everything is perfect, and, and I begin to read my, the Bible and I'm like, Oh, I got nothing. Something like, like that happens. I read the Bible for him and like, yes, amen to whatever I just read. I don't know what, what I should do with it. Okay, but then you go the, the, the second day. Okay, I'm okay, reading again the, the next day. I have a little more time. Like, so maybe if, if you're single, don't have kids, you get about an hour. If you have kids, like two and a half minutes is what you got. And you're going to sit there and you're going to read the Bible and you read it again. And you go, oh, I still, I don't know what to do. You just write some thoughts down, sign the bottom of it, whatever, that's my journal entry. Signature means it's legit uh, time in the word. That's how you know. And here's what I wanna say. Don't base if the word of God is strong enough, off, uh, strong or not, off of one time reading it. Like there are so many of us in this room who are like, I mean, I tried. I'm like, what do you mean by tried? I read it off and on twice a month for like four years and didn't do anything. Well, I mean, that's like I ate two salads a month and I haven't lost any weight. I don't understand. Like, it's a very similar parallel. What will happen is over time as you're in the Bible, I would rather you, church, I would rather you read a smaller amount of Bible and think about it more than read a ton and not remember anything. It's okay if you just read just a psalm and you think about that throughout the day and you, you, you think about it as you're at work and as you're Think uh, your hobbies after work, whatever you're doing, and that is in your mind. I'd rather that than you read a ton and not really remember anything. So we need to spend time in the scripture. Stay faithful. There will be times, listen, there will be times in the Bible that absolutely change your life. There will be. It won't be every single time. There have been times in the Bible where I have felt so down, and that time in the scriptures changed my week, my month, my year. It really does happen. There will be times in the Bible when you don't get much out of it, you don't really know what to, how to apply it. And most of the time, there'll be times in the Bible that are good. They didn't shatter any paradigms, they're just good reminders of who you are, who God is, what sin is like, who Jesus is. And it'll be your diet slowly changing you over time. So first, personal Bible reading. Second, second, you need to develop relationships with other Christians where you talk about the Bible with one another. You need to have relationships, friendships with other Christians where you sit down and you share and encourage one another with what God is teaching you and teaching them in his word. I meet at least, at least every other week with another one of our elders, Stephen Foster, 
and we meet after our kids go to sleep at nine typically, either every week or every other week, and we sit down and we share, here's how God's word is changing me, shaping me, challenging me. Here's, where I'm, here's what, how the gospel is applying to me. Here's why I don't really believe the gospel right now. Here's where I'm sinning. Here's where I'm struggling. And we share that with one another. And I can tell you almost every week, I, I want to bail almost every week. I love Stephen. It's not him. It's me. I'm the issue. But I can feel myself being like, man, I'm so tired. It's nine. I just want to watch a show and go to sleep. So I kind of want to text, hey, super busy week, early morning, can't hang out. We're going to watch Netflix till 11 or whatever. I, but I, I want to say something to sound spiritual. But, I, but honestly, sometimes I just go because I know it's good for me. It's just good and right. I don't have a great desire right now. It's nine, I'm tired. But I go in every single time I leave and I'm refreshed. Every time. I'm just telling, I, t- I told my wife Lauren how it was, and I'm like, great, as usual. Like, I wish it was bad so I could justify not going. Like, that's, but I was just so encouraged. And it wasn't because I learned anything necessarily brand new. It was just hearing the word of God from somebody else applied to me. It was just me getting to have the opportunity to teach him what I was learning in the Bible. You need the church to consume the word of God well. We are far too individualistic and compartmentalized in our understanding how to consume the word of God. We wonder, why is 15 minutes a day not changing my life? Because you need more than that. You need the church to help you consume it well. You need to hear other brothers and sisters encourage you and instruct you and rebuke you with the word of God. That's what, you, that's what I need. And that's the way God slowly changes us over time. So here's a question for you. Who are the people, who are the other Christians that you need to start doing this with? Like, who are they? Who are those people that, you, that come to mind and you wish y'all were closer, you wish you had a more vulnerable with them, you're more honest with them? Who are those people? Maybe you're here and you're brand new to Austin, you're thinking, I, I honestly don't know whose people are. We want to help you get connected. We have a connections team designed to help you do that. Now, maybe you have people in mind, like, no, we, we meet together once a week or every other week. Okay, are you intentional? I think, and I can't speak for the w- women in our church, but I know for guys, often it's like, hey, man, you doing good? Good, great, let's move on. Like, that's what's easy to do. And you need to be intentional and go, no, let's sit down and have a conversation. Say, hey, what has God taught you in the Bible this week? Just share it with me. Like, like, like literally what I tell Stephen every single time is, hey, man, teach me some Bible. Come on. What'd you learn? That's what I need. Tell me what God's teaching you because I, I, I want to hear it. Who are those people you need to be more intentional with? And lastly, how can you make those relationships a priority in your life? Listen, we live in a fluid city. I love Austin. I love being downtown. But we are a fluid population of people. And all of us really want community, but nobody wants to commit to a relationship. You can't have one without the other. If you want to have very service level relationships, don't commit to anybody. You want to go deep and be known, commit and sacrifice and make it a priority. You can't say, I want to get to know people and be known in the way you're talking about, but I'm busy every day of the week and I'm probably traveling that weekend. Like, you can't say that, right? That's not how that works. You were made for that sort of community where you're known that way, where the word of God spoken to you that way. It will, it will require you making it a priority and saying no to certain things, but it will be worth it because you'll be fed the word of God. So you need it in community. And lastly, so first is personal Bible reading. Second is a small community. Third, make attending Sunday services to worship and to sit under the word of God a priority. A priority. Listen, this is not me being legalistic. Think about it this way. When Peter wrote this letter to first century Christians, do you realize that what he probably had in mind when he said, long for the pure spiritual word of God, what he had in mind was their weekly corporate gathering. Because think about it. They did not have personal Bibles. Like, they had no idea, no concept of a quiet time. They're like, what is that? I don't have a, one of those books to read. It would be at least 1,500 years later before a ordinary, everyday Christians would be able to have a Bible in their language that they could read. For 1,500 years, the primary way God sustained his people was through the public reading and public preaching of his word. You need to make it a priority. A priority. So often we treat Sundays like, if, if I'm not busy, and if I'm in town, and if there's not a great brunch deal, I'm all in. I'm all in. 
if all those criteria are met. I'm all in. And I'm telling you, you need to make it a more of a priority than that. It's where you're fed. It's part of your diet of the word of God being consumed. Now, like Sundays, there will be Sundays that change your life. And you won't know why. You won't know why this particular Sunday, this particular sermon, whatever reason, Holy Spirit just put his finger in your chest and changed you and challenged you and you felt loved in ways you never thought. There was a song that we sang that just made you weep. And then the next Sunday, it's a similar sermon, similar songs, and nothing's really happening. You wonder why is it disconnect? I don't know why that is. The Spirit of God does what he pleases. But I'm telling you, one Sunday may or may not change your life, but the diet of what you consume will. And this is why I just, especially we have a lot of college students in our church and people who will be gone for the summer. When you choose a church, please, please, please make sure they teach you this book. If they're funny, if that doesn't matter, if they're charismatic, that doesn't matter. Do they teach you the Bible? Anytime the stone has been used in your life, the church has been used in your life, it has not been attributed to any one of us who preach. It's the word of God. Don't get it confused. The songs that we sing are the truths of the word of God. The sermons that we preach are the truths of the word of God. That's what we stand on. That's why this church is, is what it is, is because of the word of God. So if for some reason you move to a different city, please, please have your weekly diet be sitting under preaching of God's word. And here's what happens. It's your personal Bible reading time. It's your community. It's Sunday corporate worship. And all these things, this holistic diet, so to speak, begins to shape you. And all of a sudden, six months later, a year later, you find yourself going, I just want to love people more, and I can't put my finger on what was the thing that did it. Like if you look back and you were able to lose a lot of weight, you'll go, it wasn't one meal that changed you, it was the diet that did. And that's what happens as you and I are actually fed, healthy, pure, unadulterated, good food from God's word, we are able now to love one another. We're able now. And here's the great news, if you're thinking, that sounds great, but I feel just terrible because I haven't read the Bible in weeks or months. Here's the best thing about the gospel of Jesus Christ is it makes all of us come to God on the same ground. Whether you've read the Bible every day this week or you haven't read it in years, your confidence is rooted in Jesus, not in you. Even if you haven't read the Bible in years, you can open up the Bible with expectation that God will speak. You want to know why? Not because you've been faithful, because Jesus is. I love the gospel. It rids us of all religiosity. As if our behavior gets God to love us more, that's not how it works. Your time in the word causes you to be more full, but doesn't cause God to love you anymore. So wherever you are, wherever you are, Let's be a people who consume and long for the word of God so that we can love one another instead of using one another. And what happens as God feeds you with his love through his word, people in this church won't be threats to your approval anymore. They won't be competitors for influence. They won't be a means to an end. They'll be an image bearer of God and a brother or sister that you can just think about, how could I serve them? How could I love them? I want to end with this question. What if we were so filled with the word of God and meditated on it and believed it that we walked into rooms like this or to homes of people in this church and our first thought wasn't, what's in this for me? Do you know how often that you, that's my kind of assumption? I don't, I don't think it, but it's my assumption. I think, is this going to be fun? Like, what's in this for me? Like, are they going to be a good time to hang out with? Is this going to be kind of lame? Is this going to be awkward? Is this going to be a good music set? We just kind of think, is this going to be good for me? What if you came and we as a people came into situations and our first thought, I'm full of God's love for me because I've thought about his word today. And we came into rooms and we thought, how could I serve the people in this room? What if we went into rooms and we thought, how could I share God's love with them? And all of a sudden, we become this church that's distinct and special, not because we're better, because God's word is feeding us, and we showcase to the city what the love of God is like. It fills you up in such a way where you're able to think about somebody else and think, how can I give my life away for them? That's the kind of church that reaches the city. Let's pray together. Father, thank you, thank you, thank you for your word. Thank you that you have not left us as your people 
wandering and wandering around in our lives with no access to truth and all we can go on is our own intuitions and inclinations as to what's true and what's not. God, thank you for your word. Thank you because it shows us, it shines a lamp onto our feet so we know where to go, we know what's right, we know what's wrong, we know where life is. And God, thank you you gave us this word that continually tells us again and again about your gospel. Again and again, it tells us the good news. Again and again, it reminds us why we're loved, why we have hope, why we can have confidence. And none of them are rooted in our behaviors or our religiosity, God. It's always rooted in the work of Jesus. And so, God, for every person among us, God, if, we're, if they were honest, they would say, I feel spiritually famished. God, for all of us who, who feel we're just longing for approval more than we realize. That we're longing to be comforted. We're longing for refuge. We're longing to, have, to know that we have influence and respect in this life. We're longing, God, to have security. God, right now, would you remind them, remind us, you have given all of that to us in Jesus. That forever you will love us forever. You are resurrected from the dead, Jesus, to lead us and take care of us and provide for us. God, keep us faithful to your word, God. For those of us who are being faithful to read the scriptures, to be in community, to hear your word every Sunday, God, keep us faithful. Strengthen our hands. Remind us that your word does not return null and void, but it accomplishes the purpose for which you set forth. God, your word is living and abiding forever because, God, you are living and abiding forever. Every single promise and claim will eventually fall lifeless to the ground, but, God, your word remains forever. God, thank you for it. All that I know about you is from your word. And everything that we've learned so far, we have tasted and seen that you are good. God, use all of this to help us be those who love one another at great cost to ourselves because we've already been satisfied. God, we pray these things in the mighty name of the risen King Jesus. Amen. Amen, church. Let's stand. Let's sing together.